Tim Reed's more than just a former world champion. He's a student of the sport and someone worth listening to. The guy's been around for a number of years and he's seen the sport evolve. What's more, he's current, he's active, and he's someone who is making an impression in the world of triathlon. Let's have a chat to Tim Reed. Well, uh, Tim Reed needs a little introduction. The guy's been around. Tim, uh, how are you? I'm pretty good, thanks, Phil. Just, uh... <laughs> Massive opening from me. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, don't pile on too many of the accolades. <laughs> no. I think the introduction said it all. Uh, I, I, I've started every podcast we've done, and it's, you know, we're up to I don't know, a whole of 10 episodes. Um, but it's, you know, the time that we find ourselves in is just weird as it's a weird time it's uh it's a quite an anxious time i think um you know when you just go through all the people you know and yourself it, it's just uh quite extraordinary how many people are affected i mean we've been through minor crisis um moments before and you know like it, it just you know you knew a few people who might lose their job or a few people who were bit short on work, but then nothing of this nature and, uh, yeah, nothing of this magnitude. So we're, we're definitely – it's a very strange time. It's um, – talking to Miles Stewart last week, um, who, of course, CEO of Triathlon Australia, and he was hoping for sort of that October rebound. Um, but as we see more and more events getting cancelled and the big markets such as Asia and America really in, in – I suppose Asia, not so much, but America in real crisis at the moment. Uh, the outlook's not not a hundred percent hot for for any restart anytime soon. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think Australia and New Zealand. I think um, I don't know if it adds up from a you know statistical risk perspective, and also you know considering that there does seem to be very low transmission risks um, in outdoor activities. Um, and also, you know, there's been very little community transfer in New South Wales or Queensland in the recent month. And uh, so I'm a bit disappointed on that front. I feel like um, it, it can be a bit, it is a bit of an overreaction. I, I'm sure a lot of the event uh, organisers want to have these events, but it's just so hard to get local communities involved because they're living in fear uh, because of, partly because of uh, media you know, putting up every story that's significant and scary. And uh, whereas then, you know, you do look at other countries and, and that fear is completely and utterly justified and, and uh, they're in a really bad place. So I'm disappointed, you know, in terms of the Australasia sort of region that we're not putting on events because I think, I just don't think the risk is there in the same way. Um, if you actually do the maths on it, it's quite extraordinary how low the risk of how low the risk is and then yeah if you factor in then how many people get seriously sick it's even a lower risk and we've got so many other diseases that we pass around each each year that um are probably even higher risk at the moment so but you know it's understandable i think when you see when you see the i can understand the fear put it that way and i think um i think for people in america uh, it would be hard to justify putting on events when you have such an enormous um, a problem with COVID nineteen at the moment. Would looking at what's happening in America, and I don't want to, you know, launch on them, but that in my, I, I read what's coming out of there, and, and I see the numbers of COVID, and I look at the 
I guess, the stability of that country, which I think at the moment is completely teetering on tipping over. Yeah. Um, is it in your head to go and like, you know, obviously everyone does the American sojourn at some point, would you second guess going across to the States and continue to race more in that Asia theater where you sort of done some of your work is, it, is the States holding less and less of an appeal for you at the moment, given what's happening over there? Yeah, I think um, when you're based in the Boulder bubble, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. you're a little bit insulated from, from some yeah. of the other um Slightly more uh, scary parts of what's going on with the with the country. I think this year in particular, I remember uh, I was worried about. I think I was I was looking at going over and doing Oceanside, and and mm. just things were starting to pick up. And I noticed that pretty much all the positive COVID cases were coming back from Asia. <laughs> Sorry, not coming from Asia, coming from back from the US, not mm. from Asia. And they were still claiming they had very few cases. And I was like, this is not good. I think that there's a problem over there. Uh, and so, but yeah, I think the bigger issue apart from uh, COVID, the COVID um, crisis is, yeah, the, the, the major um, political split in the country and the way um, people are, I mean, it, it, it's hard because everything's magnified with what you read and what you see. And there's a lot of extremely civil, uh, moderate people in the country as well who are getting on just fine. Um, but, you know, for me, America's always been almost, it has been a second home for me the last 10 years. And mm. I've got really close friends in Boulder who I always stay with. And I, I almost just feel super, I, I just, it's not, I just feel sad about the whole situation over there. And I totally agree with you. I think it is a, it's not that far from a tipping point and uh, something that, yeah, scares the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd, I'd be reluctant. I mean, I, I've lived there and I lived there years ago, but I lived there for a few years as well. And I, you know, I know a ton of people there who are really good people. But I look at what's happening at the moment and I see how everything is so politicized and there's no, there's this black and white, you know, I'm not being, a, you know, a smart ass when I say that it's just, it's one side of the fence or the other. There's no midpoint. There's no moderation. It's just if you're this, you're this, you're Republican, you're Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're a Democrat. And those two people cannot see eye to eye and make a mid, you know, majority of them can't see it. I just think it's, I, I worry, you know, again, for the country and for the, you know, for our mates over there, but you're also worry for the, you know, for sport and for athletes traveling over there and, you know, what sort of, what are they walking into if, you know, COVID doesn't really do a number on them given they're getting 50,000 plus cases a day going positive. It just seems at the moment like it's the perfect storm of, uh, I guess, catastrophe hitting that country. Yeah, I think, I mean, worse than COVID is uh, economically, I think um, every time I'd go over there, you would just see the increase in homeless people in every major city you go to. And they're, you know, and I'm not, anti-capitalism by any means i'm not 100 pro socialism but there's a, there's always a healthy balance in between and they just haven't had the right balance and i think um there's going to be there's just so many people there in debt or living check to check and this covid thing could just be absolutely disastrous because uh it's going to be hard to see um especially the current government helping people out or doing the right thing to try and keep things on track. And yeah, oh, he's not doing anything. He's not helping anyone. He's helping himself by looking at things again. And as you just say, I think you're right. The more you read about it, yeah. 
the more negativity you read about it, the more it informs your your day to day life. I've had to um, alter my Twitter habits uh, dramatically to not follow the people that I was following to try and just try and give a little bit of light to the old uh, Twitter feed, which was getting real dark there for a while. <laughs> well, that's what I said to you when you messaged me on Twitter. I said, oh, sorry, I don't look at it anymore. <laughs> I always thought Instagram was the biggest waste of time ever and I enjoyed Twitter. And then yeah. I feel like in the last 12 months, Twitter's just descended into uh, even more of a waste of time. So. You know, have you ever found yourself, you know, like as I do, sometimes you get into the comments and you're like, not for anything I tweet, because I'm hardly controversial and the, the tens of people who follow me aren't going to be that worried about what anything I tweet, you know. But um, I just see the comments on certain people's – and I just think, Christ, how are you <laughs> – what is wrong with the world? You know, like I don't understand why people are so aggro all the time. It's like, God, just yeah. You got to join oh. a team. You got to join a team, and you've got to be pissed off. It's yeah. <laughs> Outrage is the new black, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's really everyone is so on it. <laughs> Everyone's sitting at home bored. Oh well, that's the thing too. They're locked up and unhappy. And yeah. how did you go through the whole um, ISO? I mean, this Australia kind of has worked in pockets. Um, yeah. as Melbourne, one of the major cities, is about to go down to another six-week lockdown uh, tonight as we speak. Um, it's a really ordinary time for those people. But how have you found it? How have you managed? Obviously, you've got the kids and you've yeah. got uh, you know a career and you've got a you know busy life. How does it all work? I think that initial lockdown, there's a little bit of a novelty factor to it. And um, it was sort of cool. You know, I'd call, caught up with a lot of people over the phone and Zoom and everything else that I probably wouldn't have caught up with if we weren't in lockdown. And then yep. after a few weeks, that sort of wore thin. And <laughs> the homeschooling was um, easily one of the lowest points in my life. <laughs> it, was just, it was just a three-hour battle to get Oscar to do 30 minutes work. And he could knock over a day's work in 30 minutes. It just was the three hours to get him to actually do sit down and concentrate and uh, you know, not being able to just let them go play with the neighbours and get yes. some energy. And, you know, I just think, you know, kids just need to be with kids. And um, so do 35-year-old so do men. They need to be with 35-year-old other men. So <laughs> it was, it's hard. Like you get a bit, yeah, everyone got a bit stir crazy. And it was understandable at the, at the time, especially we didn't know, you know, we didn't, we didn't know enough about the disease and what's happening. I think it was the right thing to do. I mean, look how well Australia got on top of it. Um, yep. But, yeah, bloody hell, that was a that was a, uh, quite a tough time. Fun for a week or two and then I was just over it. <laughs> <laughs> and how's um again, it, yeah, it, it, I think you're right. A lot of that sort of homeschooling stuff was for many parents just a, a huge battle. Um, but I guess necessary evil because we did sort of crush it. But... Looking forward, I mean, have you, you know, did you, the VR stuff, what were your thoughts on, on all that sort yeah, of it was, virtual? it was fun. I think um, it was just, I think it was just a good positive step from Ironman to try and keep pros involved. Um, I, I always think non-drafting events are always going to be hard from a spectator standpoint. I'd loved, I would have loved it if it was more draft legal and we had, you know, five Aussies race five Kiwis or whatever it is to, mm. to make it a real tactical and fun race. I mean, um, 
could, I don't even think I'd tune into the Tour de France if it was a 90-kilometre time trial. Um, no. So, yeah, I think uh, – but, I mean, it, it got me, you know, that the whole program, Ruby, is actually really good. You can download a lot of great courses around the world. And then uh, Swift actually put on a pro series, um, which was at a horrific time for Aussies, four, 4 o'clock in the morning yeah. to race the other guys. But – it was just really good. You know, they gave us a little bit of money each week to do it and gave you something to just sort of stop drinking beers and get fit for. <laughs> and uh, it was just fun. It was really cool. I, I thought it was just nice that companies like Ironman and Swift are um, being proactive and, and, and trying to get things going. Uh, so, yeah, that was – it was good. That, that part of it was good. I, I, I got to admit, I, look, I, I fully appreciate it, what they're up to. There's no doubt. He says, this is the positive side. Then the negative, I, I, st- I can't stand it. I, I just look at it and go, Jesus, really? This is where we are. But I understand what they're doing. or racing? Uh, the, just the, the, the whole racing, just, you know, virtual that, kind of. But you never, have you ever actually raced, Phil? No, not virtually, no. Well, then um, you can't say that it's crap, do you? <laughs> from a spectator point of view, I go, nah, not yeah, really. Yeah, I totally get it. I, I can't see it taking off from a spectator standpoint unless they bring in some sort of sports betting or something and people can get that gambling itch out of their system. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way. Well, could you imagine horse racing being exciting if they didn't have gambling involved? <laughs> it's so boring. Um so, but it's funny, isn't it? But you, you, you guys get the, you get it that it's, you know, from our point of view, oh, we're yeah, yeah. standing on the outside looking in. Yeah, no, no. I just think, I think, um, I would hope that I, I can't ever see it really turning into a spectator thing. But I would hope that it might encourage other people to race and, and get on the programs. Um, because you, you're right, though. The economic out, the the economic reality is, is that Ironman people. Not that there's alternatives for sport at the moment because there's nothing. But people sort of wander off and find other things to do yeah or they find fulfillment in their life so they don't need triathlon exactly this is one of my big arguments because i've been i've been incredibly fortunate with trek in that they've continued to support me through this but other bike brands have um reduced athletes contracts and which they're legally able to do but they've actually had increased profits during the COVID crisis because people are cycling is taking off a lot of exercise um, sports are taking off and, and I feel like it's almost a bit unethical given your profits have gone up and yeah. all those athletes are still marketing the brand and, and their argument being, well, we're not selling triathlon bikes. We're not selling top end road bikes. And I, I just, but I can name 15 of my friends who've gone out and bought cyclocross and gravel bikes in the last two months, you know, and, yeah. and the fact that they know I ride Trek might be, is, is, is a big, um, turning point between what they might want to go for and and what brands they're looking at. So I always, I think triathletes, while they might not influence any sort of, you know, I think while they might not influence a triathlon specific bike sale, you're still promoting the brand and all of us are out riding gravel and enjoying mountain bikes and everything else. And I think that can still influence the other sales. So yeah, 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 I agree. And it, there's been that much of it. Like I, I haven't ridden a road bike in years. I don't ride on the road because I just I don't want to die. Um, so I've sort of stuck to the mountain bikes. Um, and you know, like my brand loyalty is what I rode with and who you know in my middling to average age group career. Yep. Um, you know, I just stuck with the brands I liked. And it was, you're right. There's a there's a knock on effect. 
from that. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of the people who I know who raced on the, on the brand, you know what, they're still on them, still get looked after, still talk it up. So I go, you know what works for me? I'm off to buy a mountain bike. I'll pay money. Um, and here's how I'm going to do it because I know these people. So there is brand loyalty there and there is that connection because again, as you said, people know you're on a trek. They go, right. Okay. They must be good people. You're a good person. This works for me. So there is a a, a connection. I get more messages on Facebook about the Trek checkpoint, checkpoint gravel bike. than I've got about the speed concept in a long time because the speed concept has been around for, you know, quite a while. And while there's been, um, you know, mo- um, moderate, mild <laughs> modifications that, you know, it's the new bikes that are getting people excited. And so that's what I get. That's what I get my questions on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I think other during COVID has sort of opened people's eyes to gravel more, open their eyes to commuting, open their eyes to, you know, working from home, open people's eyes to, you know, like down, I'm living down here on the coast in, um, in Victoria and, you know, everyone just surfed more. People just surfed more, you know, like at the moment with Melbourne being locked down, our waves for the next six weeks are going to be just locals, you know, um, which while we recognise tourism is important down our neck of the woods, but no one's really complaining about just having waves to yourself for a while. You know, you find other things to do and that Ironman's great and, and all these mass participatory sports, their great fear is people aren't coming back. Yeah, um, I guess so. But um, yeah, we'll wait and see, I guess. I think... It'll be interesting too whether people uh, stick with all the new hobbies they've taken up. It'll just be a, I guess nobody really knows. It's all speculation at, at this point. You want to get on eBay in about four months' time. <laughs> <laughs> people selling all their new hobbies there like that. Once they go back to work and uh, yeah, they've got no time. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's been, again, as you said, economically for the pros, though, like this is a really worrying time, isn't it? I mean, you know, pros are getting contracts reduced. Those middle to lower rung pros would be in I would imagine in a world of hurt as well and you know they're there's no hope of yeah coming I, I don't know Phil I reckon a, a lot of the middle to lower end pros were probably had other income sources anyway true true it's just it's a very tough way to make a living you know the top top 20 30 guys are doing really well and then you know it's a massive drop off and um, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I just think, I actually think it's a, yeah, even a lot of the, the top guys are probably going, oh, geez, like this is, you know, they might, might be looking at 25% of what they made the year before. Uh, and people might go, oh, that's still not that bad given they might have made 300 grand the year before. But when you factor in that when you make money, you tend to buy, get a big mortgage and, you know, put yourself in a position, um, that you, where you need to keep making decent money, it's always stressful no matter what level you're at. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that the hardest thing will be, and I really, I really hope Ironman weather this storm because if this goes on a long time, it's just going to be so hard uh, for them to one justify, you know, pro races. I think it's a short term view to not have pro races, that, and longer term, I think it always adds to races. But I can understand almost if they're just. You know, if the, the margins are so small, they've got to find every way to stay ahead of the game. Um, but that's pretty dramatic, isn't it? To sort of say that I agree. I mean, I've never entered, you know, as an age group, I've never entered a race based on the pros. But having commentated 
you know, a hundred of them understand that there is a real, you know, there is a, a real show that the pros put on and a necessity for it to have elite people there so that the best can be seen. I think it's a showcase for the sport. I think the triathlon pros are generally good people. You don't get tantrum throwers. You don't get those sorts of people publicly doing that. I mean, it's, um, you know, they're great role models. I think yeah. you really run the gauntlet when you say no to pros. I think, um, yeah, to, yeah, exactly. I think two things, that it's the marketing of the event. So it might not contribute to the amount of people that do it that current year, but the, the post-race, uh, you know, film or video feature that comes out on YouTube and, or is shared around social media. And then um, the other side of it is just the atmosphere while you're racing as an age grouper. Like I just yeah. think there's a different atmosphere when there's a pro race on. There's a level of seriousness, you know, excitement that just um, isn't there. I mean, I've, I've I raced as an amateur in, in small races without pro fields and, you know, it's pretty laid back. It's fun. But it's not, it's not like the same excitement and no. not the same vibe as when there's a pro race on. No, and, and, and you know, um, the other thing too is that, I mean, I've commentated races and I'm at the finish shoot. I remember commentating the very first Ironman Melbourne with Wit Raymond because <laughs> you can't say his name normally. Um, and me and Wit were commentating and, you know, Krubby was dueling Cam Brown running a 238 or whatever he ran and, and – said to me, do you want to take this one? And, and you know, because you're the Aussie. And I said, that's great. Imagine it was, you know, Eddie Punchclock or Joe Sixpack running down the, the finish line. You'd be like, yeah, it's great. Well done. There is not near the atmosphere. Yeah. There is not near the build-up. There's not near the fun. There's not near the, the intrigue with good pro quality fields getting out there, smacking each other. There is nothing better than that. And that's the same on any sport. You and I could watch pro turtle racing find the best in the world and have a real good look at it. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Well, did you see the hot dog eating guy the other day on ESPN? Holy shit. <laughs> what a unit. God, that's, that was repulsive watching that, but I watched it cause it was live sport, right? Yeah. I think, I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think whenever there's those epic battles in the pro field, I like, you know, you had Cam and Crowey, um, go duel it out. And then the next year, I think the race sold out in no time. And, just think there's an effect that it's hard to measure but I, I i don't think it can be underestimated how important those those moments are for an event no your world titles the classic as well you know that dirty stinking german <laughs> Kima, you know no but no we love him i mean i wish he was honestly um you know you and like, like that is that is the sort of stuff that that sets the sport up you know or Watching, and I, I might have mentioned this to Steph Hansen in our conversation, was Rebecca Keat in Challenge Cans giving her medal to a little girl who watched it. You know, and I that that's that's sort of the the shit that sticks in my head. Yeah, and then that little girl's so much more likely to be a triathlete later on. Well, yeah, or be inspired to do something good. Yeah, you know, maybe she's going to go off and do something, but she feels good about what she's seen, and it's been a really good experience. You know, or you know, Joshy Amberger giving you know my kids when we were at Geelong, giving him his towel and stuff, and they, you know, they're stoked. You know, like that's (laughs) little things for for those guys, but but big, and and it's required. Do we in 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 that? And I'm going to switch just a little bit, but do we have though too many? pro triathletes would you like to see i mean the perfect world is the unification of challenge and iron man 
yeah, and a proper. I mean, I mean, it's not a it's not a novel argument, but I I love how tennis, surfing, all those um, sports work, where you have, you know, your prop, even the ITU and triathlon, where you have a, you know, top circuit, and then once you yeah. once you drop your form drops down and you your uh, position in those in that top 30 drops off then you drop down to the, the next level or whatever and you might do a you know because I, I feel like it's it's important to have an entry for you know pros that are up and coming and everything else but um, certainly I think the main focus should be on probably less races but with more more of the top guys racing and way bigger price persons which is easier yeah it's the only way to go isn't it it's the only way to go you build you you know i've long thought that i don't know how many someone's time is like i don't know two or three thousand professional men i'm like couldn't name couldn't name 50 you know like it's (laughs) random because old mate who works down the bike shop has raced pro one time at 70.3 nowhere and he's now pro yeah and again, that's I, I know you got to get a start somewhere. I completely understand yeah, but that. But that, then, then there's a clear path too. It's like okay, yeah. I need to I need to get my ranking up to top fifty or top forty, whatever it is. Then I know that there's nothing. Um, it's just completely objective, and you know where you're at and where you have to get to to get into the good yeah. money and to the good races. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's and funny, so isn't I, it? Like you, I think this you want to see the best. You do, and so you want to see the best go <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> You know, it's a balancing act between, well, I need to, I need to cash in on an easy, easier win and collect some bonuses and pay some <laughs> bills, and then, but then I really want to go and race a championship. But then you factor in flights and all the other good guys that are racing, and it's like, and the prize money, like, you know, it's, you know, I really want to do it because that's we're all really competitive. But you're like, it's I've got a family, I've got to do what's smart, and so sometimes you turn down these biggest races to just go get you know, get a couple of wins along the way or, and it shouldn't be like that. It should be, you know what, if I go to Kona and I finish 12th, I haven't just wasted 15 grand of my, of my, of my own money. I should at least be, that's the biggest race everyone's targeting. And I, I should at least, you know, make some money out of that, even if there's less money in other races or whatever. It yeah. Is. But I just think it's, um, you know, how exciting would it be if, you know, tenth and eleventh were racing for still racing for twenty grand, and you could, I don't know, there was still coverage of that, or seventh and eighth instead of just watching first, second, and third, and then it shuts off. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? That's the thing, right? So if you, you know, a, a perfect world, of course, perfect world, we're talking here. But if you did that, and if you had proper prize money, and if you had less races, and if you had bigger prize pools and then if you funneled the money into making better broadcasts other than what's been served up at the moment which let's be honest at best is amateur um it it strikes me as something that needs addressing it needs looking at but this is an age-old deal where i men don't make money out of the pros they make money out of the 1500 age groupers chasing you guys down yeah i think that's the hard one isn't it i mean i understand both perspectives it's easy to say it as a pro but then they've got a business model that that works in in terms of mass participation is is the goal and and um, you know I guess have highlighting the pro race and everything else it's it's a harder one to sell you've got to get sponsors on board it's uh, whereas you know an age group or entering a race that's money in the bank it's a it's a clear profit margin if you get it is and but if you explain to it like a generic sponsor right like if you're talking to a bank you know, or something like that. And you go, yeah, yeah, triathlon. They go, okay, well, tell us about triathlon. Who, who's world number one? You go, 
yeah, I don't really know. You go, well, what sort of races are they doing? Well, there's these sorts of races and there's this company running this race and that company. Is there a central body? And no, not really. It's a private company that sort of runs the world title. It sounds, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> it doesn't well, make a lot of sense to me. Like, you know. Say, Jan Perdino and then you're done. <laughs> yeah. Jan just goes in and says, you know who I am, right? Yeah. And they go, hey, man, you're cool. Um, but uh, in that, we talked about this in Geelong. We caught up. Um, with an interview that never got published. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for thanks for taking oh, no. the time today for the race. <laughs> I know. Sorry. That's why I finished fourth. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good one too. Bloody fantastic. Um, um, but we talked a little bit about sort of that you know that need for you know for self promotion and that need and that grind. I'm watching your your social work at the moment. You're doing some pretty tight work. Well, honestly, I, I just am super grateful to Glenn Murray from Corrupt Vision because he lives close. We get on really well, and uh, when especially when races got cancelled, we came up with a lot of ideas. But then it was hard because the restrictions were in place in terms of hanging out. And then also I had three kids at home because Monica, you know, it was made sense for Monica to work more. Um, but I think we're going to go back to that strategy and try and uh, lay out a plan with, with sponsors and be like, yep, we're going to try and get some more content, maybe set up another big endurance mission or even run a race around here just like between Tim Burkle and I or something stupid, you know, but where we actually mm. suffer because uh, – People on social media just love to see you suffering. I've decided put up fun, <laughs> put up training videos of you having fun, and no one, no one, it doesn't seem to appeal to anyone. Then you put up like a training video with you just putting on a Lionel Sanders suffering face, and you get a fifty thousand likes. <laughs> it's just, so, yeah, I don't know. It would be cool. We've got some ideas in terms of yeah, doing some sort of race with just you know uh, completely. Probably completely illegally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no one saw nothing. But yeah, just try and have a bit more fun. I think. You, I mean, social media is one of those things. It's hard. It's a. It's a bit of a process to learn to let go and not be think overthink it. Like I used to worry about what I'd post and have I offended someone? Was this funny? Wasn't it? And then now I'm just like, put the content up. Don't look at <laughs> and put the phone away because it's part of your job, and you, you can you can just play into your mind too much if you if you start worrying about everything you put up there. So um, yeah, well, you picked a good man in corrupt though. He's um he's the doyen. He's like the you know one of the real good operators in this space yeah. for uh, for triathlon. So corrupt vision, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, he's on. It is. It's like anyone. He's just super passionate about it. So. Yeah. He genuinely loves what he does, and so I just I think it shows with with a lot of the work he does. He's just I think he's brilliant, and he's picking up more and more work in the area um, outside of triathlon too, just because of the stuff he's done with us. So yeah, he's good people. He's he is good people. Starting to see how good he is. <laughs> I did a um, we once I think him and I and uh, Dally Car one time shared a car ride up from Taupo. Um, and by the end of the car ride, I think he was happy to get out with what was coming out of. Young Delhi car, I can tell you right now. <laughs> Delhi doesn't mind talking. He took the hind leg off a donkey, that kid. Um, so, with the social media in 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 you know in train and that kind of stuff, um, the sponsorship for you has it been a, an easy road, or is it oh, like are you kind of always feeling the pressure to post? Oh no, you feel you feel the pressure. Not 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 from them, just because I it's just the way I am. I just feel a blight. You know, especially when you're not racing, you, you feel this. A little bit of a sense of guilt all the time. Oh, what can I be doing? What should I be doing? And of course, 
we're athletes. Like all we want to do is go out and train. <laughs> even if, even when there's no races on, I'd still love to go out and just ride my bike six hours a day. But yeah. it's just, it's just that's not going to help my sponsors at the moment. So I have to be disciplined. I have to drop the training down quite a lot and actually make some time to try and be a little bit creative or write a blog or something like that because it's uh, ultimately you're paying, you're getting paid to promote a company and a product and uh, if you can't race, you've just got to find another way to do it. Otherwise, you're not really living up to your end of the bargain. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I've lost uh, I lost a little bit of sponsorship and uh, some of that's just been postponed to next year. Um, and, but I know a lot of other guys who've had contracts slashed and uh, everyone's, like, very stressed, I'd have to say, uh, especially now because I thought, I think... Especially the Aussies, we thought we were on track to be back racing in September, which would have, which would have, um, I think, kept a lot of sponsors happy, especially with not a lot of other racing going on around the world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we're, you know, you just start to get really fit again, knocking out, you know, five, six-hour rides a few times a week, and, and then it just, yeah, and then you get it crushed again. But, you know, I feel like a, I feel a bit self-conscious even complaining about it because, um, yeah, I'm in an okay position and, and yeah. there's so many people around the world who've just been, you know, family restaurants and just people are getting, you know, their lives are being devastated. So I really just have to keep perspective and realise it's it's sport. I've got a wife that works and, um, you know, live in a good country. <laughs> so, yeah, well said, yeah. well said. Um, and but with the... Um, with the sort of the shuffling around of all these events and stuff, I don't think, see, I, I'm in the boat that's, or in the canoe that's paddling that doesn't think February cone is going to happen. Um, is that a race with an asterisk in your mind or is it legitimate? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, Ironman will almost have to go ahead, even if it's US only. I don't know. I just don't know what the answer is. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's very hard to see Australians being able to go there in February if we don't have a vaccine by then. So as yeah. a world championship, so I agree with you, I'm, I don't know what will happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a lottery. Going forward um, in five years, what are you up to? Um, well, I've already, like, I've always coached, Phil, even when I, you know, I was a coach before I did triathlon and that's what I, st- you know, I studied – um, my background was sports science at university and I, I've always loved that side of it. And so that was what actually got me interested in triathlon was, was just learning about the body and how it responds to training. And so I've always coached um, some, you know, when I started out as a pro, I had 25, 30 athletes and cause that was my way I funded my way through the first couple of years. And then, you know, even when I didn't need any money from coaching, I'd still always help a couple of young pros and a couple of athletes. And when all this COVID hit, I, I did expand the coaching a bit, um, took on a few more guys. And so that was, for me, it's it's just to keep some consistent uh, purpose, I guess, more than anything. Like I just enjoy having something to do um, on top of homeschooling kids and trying to fit in training. <laughs> what, what a, what, <laughs> what a <laughs> I wasn't bored. What are they doing? What are, what are some of them doing wrong? What do you see? Like, like triathlon coaching is, is a little bit hit and miss. There are some amazing people out there. Um, and like everything, there are some people who are probably, you know, maybe 
batting above their average. Um, what are you looking for? Like if you're searching for a coach uh, and you're listening to this or you're interested in, you know, progressing, what are you searching for? What's, what's some of the things that you reckon that make a coach, uh, you know, worth their weight? I mean, I had a great one when I was racing and she was amazing and, you know, thoroughly recommend um, her setup. Uh, based on, you know, the fact that she really looked at your life and just didn't go, hey, um, you know, just do this. It was do this and fit it in around your life. What are you you searching for and what do you you make of, um, you know, for good coaching? Yeah, I mean, I've had some great coaches too and um, I learned a lot from all of them. And Matt Dixon was a great one for me in terms of really factoring in life outside triathlon and the stress that other things cause and, and not not making it one big algorithm, you know that there's a few there's a lot of unmeasurables, and you need to actually just talk to the athlete um, because you can't get everything from data. Well, you can get a lot from data, but you could get the same thing from just asking how they're going <laughs> and giving them a call. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of pro athletes that end up coaching, they're the biggest fault I see is they think that what works for them is how they're going to coach, or what worked for them. Sorry, and I've been through that with, you know, I I just see it a lot. And I think the biggest benefit I have personally is I've seen, I've made mistakes with athletes and I've I've seen that what worked for me didn't work for other athletes. And so it's about working out, you know, what's their, the biggest thing is working out the load they can take and how, almost how good they are at recovering. So, you know, I've got, um, I coach a few male pros and one of them can literally only put two solid days together before he needs a really easy day. And an mm-hmm. athlete, he's only a year or two younger, gets similar results. He can put five days together, really solid days, before he needs a day off. And I just think it's working out this sort of balance with guys and not coming in with a set idea of this is what they, this is what produces results. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's always been, and, and this is almost stealing from Matt Dixon, but he used to say he's a problem solver. And, and I feel like that's that's the best way to approach coaching is uh, to go in there and work out, to go in and solve problems and, and come up with solutions, not, not come in there with uh, set ways to do things and hope that the outcome is what you expect. Oh, I love it. That's uh, that might be the nice way to end this one. Uh, former world champion, still doing some beautiful work in the triathlon world. Tim Reed, you can find him at Timbo Reed on the Twitter and also on the Instas as well. With uh, Corrupt, doing some really check it out. It is really good stuff. The pair of them have collaborated on some really cool stuff. So make sure you get it in there. This will go live. This time, Tim, um, <laughs> uh, we're at the Triathlon Magazine uh, Canada. If you need to find us. Um, make sure you check us out. If you like it, subscribe to this. Tim, thank you very much. Once again, mate, crossing paths with you is always a victory for me. Thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to uh, getting you back on course at some point uh, later this year. Thanks, Phil. Pleasure to chat.